Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Are you ever surprised by the stuff that sticks in your head from high school, middle school, elementary school, the things you remember, uh, some of the things you wish you could remember? I can so clearly remember at sixth or seventh grade, social studies, doing a segment on Greek mythology and uh, studying all the Greek gods like Zeus and their temple and their worship system and how it influenced Greek culture. Anybody else remember that at all from their years, uh, the whole Greek mythology thing? Well, see, it's good because it comes into play into the series that we're doing because for the churches that we're talking about, Greek mythology was so present. As a matter of fact, in different cities were different temples to different Greek gods. Now, if you haven't been with us the last two weeks, uh, what we're going through are the seven letters in Revelation to seven different churches in modern-day Turkey, and it is Jesus speaking. Uh, Jesus tells John, John's late in his years, to write down everything you hear and you see, and I want you to take these letters, and I want you to make sure they get to these seven different churches, the things I'm seeing in them, both the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly. And the map that we've been looking at, you know, we uh, started out with the forgetful church and the suffering church, and now we're going to get to Pergamum. And Pergamum is worth thinking out more about the compromising church or the lenient church. And going from Smyrna to Pergamum, that's about 50 miles. And Pergamum was the capital of Asia. And it was high on Greek culture. And they were proud of their Roman influence and their Roman links. Another way to think about Pergamum would be like this. Pergamum would be rated really high on TripAdvisor. It would be like the place to go, the city to visit. You'd want to go there because it's all the best culture, all the best stuff. That's the way the world saw it. Jesus saw it Differently. And let's start off in that letter in Revelation 2, chapter 12. Jesus is saying this Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with a sharp two edged sword. Now, we already know that Jesus is the one doing the talking. That was made clear in chapter 1. So, why in his introduction, and why he's like, hey guys, how you doing in Pergamum? Why does he reference himself as the one with a sharp two edged sword? As a matter of fact, let's just play a little mental game here with you. Uh, Just play along if you can. And um, close your eyes for just a moment. Just one minute. Get a picture of Jesus in your mind. Okay, open your eyes. How many of you, how many of you in your picture of Jesus had him holding a sharp two-edged sword? Anybody just raise your hand, right? No, like, like nobody. That's not how you picture Jesus. Now, how many of you have ever saw We might get a few of you now. How many of you ever saw a painting or a picture of Jesus holding a sword? Anybody ever see that? If you've been to the Smithsonian, some of the art museums, you might see some pictures like that. So why is it that Jesus is referencing himself this way? I actually did a Google search, a Google image search. You can do this. Jesus holding a sword. And uh, the images just felt wrong. 
Uh, it just didn't feel right. As a matter of fact, some of the images that came up high when I Googled Jesus holding a sword was Jesus holding something like an AK-47. I mean, it was just wrong. It was just weird. It just isn't right. It doesn't feel comforting. It's not the Jesus that we know from the Gospels. So why is it? Why this introduction? Well, context always matters. Context always matters. And Pergamum uh, was the capital of Asia, had close links with Rome, and Rome had bestowed on them authority that most cities, most capitals would never get. And the symbol of authority for Rome was the symbol of the sword. Because the sword meant you had the choice of who could live or who could die. And the city of Pergamum, their council was given that authority. None of the other cities that we're talking about were given that authority. Only this city. They had the right, without consulting Rome, without waiting to hear from Roman officials, they could decide who lives or who dies. And there's who gets the death penalty. And that was huge. And people thought this was the ultimate authority that Pergamum had. And Jesus is like, hey guys, it's me with the double-edged sword. You think Pergamon has all the power. You think Rome has all the power. I want to remind you, I am the ultimate authority. I am the one that holds the power over life and death. That's who's talking to you. I'm the one of authority who is writing to you. And just a few other things about Pergamum. I had the second largest library in the world at that time. I had temples for four different Greek gods, Zeus being one of them. One of the other Greek gods they had a temple to was known as the god of healing. So people would travel all over to try and find healing from this Greek god. And um, it's a cultural center. And Jesus goes on his letter and he talks about the city like this. This is a bad review on TripAdvisor, by the way, Right? I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. You have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Right? Not a good descriptor. You don't want to live in the place that's known as Satan's city. You want to extend an invitation to your friends. Hey, guys, want to come visit me for a while? I live at the place where Satan has his throne. It's just not a positive description. Now here, I want to see if we get a little bit of different feedback or if we're all of one mind. Uh, Let's make this current, and I want you to come to America right now. And if I was going to ask you, if you had to label one city, just one city in America, that is Satan's city, uh, one city in America where Satan has his throne, what might you say? And my ears clogged, so we're going to have to speak up a little bit here, guys. Las Vegas and Washington, D.C. Yeah, okay, (laughs) yep. And those are the two results I was expecting. And when I think about Pergamum, I think about Washington, D.C. First of all, it's all the marble, all the beautiful buildings. It's a cultural center. All the Smithsonian's, you know, all the museums. I also think about that seat of political power. Uh, But for most of us, when we think about Satan City here in the United States, we think about Las Vegas. Because clear back in the 1930s, it got labeled as... Sin City, right? So you understand that context. And, uh, you know, uh, there was a time in the 80s and 90s where they tried to change their image to be more family-friendly. It didn't work. 
Uh, so by right around that year 2000 or so, 2003, their slogan was the one that you're probably the most familiar with. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. That, that really sounds like where Satan has his throne, right? What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. And then they did this whole rebranding thing in 2020, right before the pandemic, uh, their new slogan. Does anybody know it at all? What happens here only happens here. And it's, I'm not a marketing guy, right? But I'm like, that just seems pretty lame. But what I do know this is you don't want to be branded as Satan's city. And, and Jesus has this image. He's like, you know, Pergamum, Pergamum is known like this in the world. But this is the way that I see the city. This is Satan's city. This is where Satan, our enemy, has his throne. But even though Jesus doesn't view you the city, but look at what he has to say about the people. Same passage. Let's highlight something different. You. This is all good news, right? This is commendation to the Jesus followers, the church of Pergamum. You have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me. You remain loyal to me. You didn't deny me. Even one of my faithful followers was murdered right in front of you. You you did not bow your knee. You did not lose your way. You remained faithful. You remained loyal. You refused to deny me. It wasn't easy to be a Jesus follower in Pergamum. Believers experienced great pressure to compromise their beliefs or to leave their faith. And Jesus says, come on, guys. You're holding strong. You're being true. You're saying in the way of Jesus whenever there's so much pressure to compromise your faith or to leave your faith. And Jesus' commendation reminds me so much of his words in John 17. If you're familiar with John 17, it's where Jesus is praying for his disciples earnestly. And then he prays for all of those that will follow in his, their footsteps. That means he's praying for all of us. And he prays for what? He prays for things like unity. He prays for things like sanctification, that we will become more and more like him. And the language that you find Jesus using consistently throughout John 17 is what? The language you see with Jesus is this. He was praying for us to be in the world, but not of the world. To be in the world, but not of the world. That applied to the church in Pergamum. That applies to you and I today. Jesus clearly says he doesn't want his people removed from the world. He wants them to live as a light in a dark world. He wants them to live in a culture that has very different worldviews than they do, very different beliefs than they do, very different actions that they do. He wants them to live in that world, but he doesn't want them to be of that world. He doesn't want them to be influenced and overcome by the surrounding culture. He wants them to stand out as a light in the darkness, but not to be of the world, not to be conformed by the surrounding culture. To live our lives as a testimony of Jesus in a world that often wants to go in a different 
direction. In the world, not of the world. In the culture, not of the culture. And Jesus commends the church in Pergamum for doing just that. Now, what might that look like today? What might that look like in our country? What might that look like in our church? What might that look like in our individual lives? In a world that thrives on anger and fear and hate and creating anxiety. A world that tells you that success is all about getting more for yourself, even at the expense of others. A world that is consumed with political power, wealth, and fame. A world where people are easily overlooked, marginalized, harmed, ridiculed, or treated unjustly. The church, the bride of Christ, you and I, be it Crossroads or any other loyal, faithful church like Pergamum, doesn't cave to fear, fights anger, hate, and anxiety, doesn't long for political power, wealth, prestige, or fame, uses our resources to help the least of these in Jesus' name. A church, a place where love rules, where Jesus' love saves the day. A place where those who feel so undeserving of Jesus' gracious, lavish love find it in overwhelming abundance. A place where our homes are known as a place of peace. A place where broken people can find wholeness in Jesus' name. A place where you can discover that you are enough because Jesus is so much more than enough. A people who do not bow their knee to the world when the going gets tough. Crossroads, may we be a church like that in the world, but not of the world. Not culture warriors, but people living as a light in the darkness. But it's not all good news for the church in Pergamum, is it? Jesus has a few complaints to say about them as well. He continues on in his letter to them. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel... He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Now, I mean, honestly, if we're going to be honest with one another, if we received a letter from Jesus individually or as a church, and he only had a few complaints about us, I really would be feeling pretty good, right? Right? He only has a few complaints. And if you look at this, it really comes down to one thing, right? There's really just one complaint. Tolerance. Tolerance of people that are teaching other things. It is the sin of tolerating what shouldn't be tolerated. Now, come on. Tolerating is usually a good thing, right? If somebody really annoys me, 
and my natural instinct is to punch them in the face, it is good that I learn how to tolerate other people. If your in-laws are driving you so crazy that you have developed a plan to move your family to the other side of the globe just so you don't have to spend as much time with them, it is good that you learn how to tolerate them with appropriate boundaries, right? If you're surrounded in a world or in a culture of people who don't think like you, act like you, believe like you, if you're going to learn to love people that are not like you, tolerating them is essential. It's a key part of loving people like Jesus loves people. But, here's what we're talking about, right? But, but tolerating people who are teaching away from the essentials of Jesus is disastrous. Let me be clear. We are talking about not tolerating people in the church who take the gospel and add to it or dilute it. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about here. People, not tolerating people, who take the gospel and add to it or dilute it. And if you're wondering, you know, you know, Balaam and Balak, uh, that story is all back in Numbers chapter 22, 25. Uh, you can read all about that. But basically it is this. Balaam took the people of Israel and he led them astray. He earned the reputation as the one who leads people astray. And what is this blasphemous teaching that is happening? What is it the Nicolaitans are teaching? Where are they going with all of this? What is the teaching that's coming with inside the church? It's all about it's okay to eat food offered to idols. It's okay to commit sexual sin. In other words, they are teaching that you can be a Jesus follower and do these things. That is what is not to be tolerated. That is what is being tolerated. And that is the compromise that is happening in the church in Pergamum. And that is the complaint that Jesus has about them. Now, if those sins are ringing a bell at all in your head, maybe one of your favorite scriptures is also one of mine. Uh, Because in Acts 15, we have the Council of Jerusalem. This is all the people coming together, all the leaders of the church coming together. And they're deciding what's essential to the gospel and what's not. And one of the huge questions that they are trying to wrestle with uh, that is so impacting the early church, they're wrestling with the question, what needs to come from the Old Covenant? Because there's a lot of stuff in the Old Covenant. What needs to be brought from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant? And James, the brother of Jesus, in Acts 15, he finally stands up and he says this. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Love that statement. We should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood, right? Four rather straightforward things. 
And the beauty of the Council of Jerusalem, like many other councils uh, that really work through what is key and essential to the gospel, unity forms around all of this. And just a few verses later, you read almost the exact same thing because like everybody's in agreement. For it seemed good, this is what they write to the churches that are asking these questions. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us today to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Peace out, Girl Scout, right? Go with that. You're good to go. That's a rather short list. It's a rather direct list. But the church in Pergamum is being compromised in these areas because they are tolerating someone teaching that you can be a Jesus follower and do two of these things. Do you see what's going on? The church in Pergamum had stood strong against persecution from the outside. What the enemy could not accomplish from the outside, he's now trying to do from within. And the Nicolaitans were Jesus followers who had compromised their faith and were teaching that, hey, you can be a Jesus follower and still do all of this kind of stuff. You can still engage with these parts of the culture. Everybody's doing. It's all right. You can do these things as well. And believers in Pergamon were being deceived by the teaching. They were being in the world and of the world. So here's some big questions. Just let these float through your brain. What are some areas that we tolerate that we shouldn't? Where do we compromise where there should be no compromise? What kind of things does the church tolerate today that we shouldn't be tolerating? There's some things that stand out for you. What about slander and gossip? Yeah, we know that Sunday school class. Yeah, we know that small group. We know what's going on in there. We've, we've heard the rumors that slander and gossip. But it would be so messy to do something about it. What else do we tolerate? What about unrighteous anger? Yeah, we know that ministry later. We, we know that he or she blew up and, and we, we, it's wrong. But that's just who they are. Bitterness. Yeah, I mean, you can just see that oozing out of him or her. But I mean, who, who wants to address that? Who wants to deal with that? Lying? Everybody fibs. Everybody just exaggerates a little bit. Lying, it's okay. How about hypocrisy? Jesus consistently throughout the Gospels called out hypocrisy left and right. But yet we can be so incredibly uncomfortable calling out any form of hypocrisy. What about selfishness? When it becomes all about us, what I think, what I want what I think is right. What other kind of things do we compromise our faith on? Sexual immorality was incredibly easy in Pergamum. Isn't it incredibly easy today? 
I mean, you're watching things. There are screens everywhere. You're watching a show and you're like, okay, I'm boobies and butts. I did not know that was going to be part of the show, right? You just like sort of see it everywhere. You can have access to anything at any time. You want to take another step and actively engage in sexual immorality? I guarantee you there is an app for that, right? All you got to do is swipe right at the appropriate time. It is so easy to compromise in the area of sexual immorality today. We compromise our integrity. And one of the ways that we do that as a church, as a nation... It's the Church of the United States. Just to get a little bit more earthly power. Compromise just a little. Tolerate just a little to gain some political power. When I think about tolerance in the Church of America, there's a phrase that comes to my mind that has rung out for years. It does not mean that has to be a phrase that does it for you. A few years ago, a well-known evangelical leader, known incredibly well in the United States and beyond, statement that came out of his mouth was simply this, just hold your nose and swallow. And I'm like, oh, that's a statement of compromise. Man, on Pergamum, uh, here we are 2,000 later as the Church of the United States. Just hold your nose and swallow. It just epitomizes to me the whole idea of compromising. Just take and compromise a little bit to get more of the good stuff. I'm sure Jesus wouldn't mind, right? Compromise a little bit on the bad stuff to get more of the good stuff. Jesus wouldn't mind, but he does. He writes this, repent of your sin. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent. Deal with the compromisers in your ranks. Don't be afraid to call it out. If you don't, the consequences are going to be devastating for all. Repent. Acknowledge it. Admit that there is a problem. Confess it to God. Make it right. Then he finishes his letter with his promise. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one else understands except the one who receives it. To all who are victorious. This whole idea of hidden manna, most believe that's a, some spiritual power, authority that's given to us whenever we get right and we make things right with God when we no longer compromise on things. There are a ridiculous amount of theories on the white stone. There's no consensus, so I won't go there. But don't miss this. You and I are given a new name when we're victorious. You are given a new name. 
It's the beauty of the grace and forgiveness and love of Jesus. And it might sound a little bit like this, but it's different for everyone. You were bogged down in sexual sin. Now your name is pure. You lied and deceived. Now your name is integrity. You harmed and destroyed with your words. Now your name is restore. You caved to fear. Now your name is courageous. Anger ruled your life. Now your name is peacemaker. You were weighed down by sin and shame. Now your name is righteous one. And Jesus promises a new name, a new identity for everyone who follows in his name. When we no longer compromise our faith, when we repent and we get right with God, he restores us, he renews us, and he gives us a new name. On your connection card, I don't need an answer to any of these things. This is more for you to walk with this week. Would you take time this week to ask the Holy Spirit this question? Is there something in my life or in our church's life that we have compromised or tolerated that needs to be dealt honestly with? That's not a 60-second question, right? Right? Would you spend some quiet time with God? Just come to the Holy Spirit and ask that question. Then here's the one. Who can you be real with? I don't need you to write it down. But I want to make sure there is at least a name, if not names, that you could write in that space. Because what happens is whenever the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, where we have compromised, where we've been lenient, where we shouldn't be lenient, and we want to be made right with God and we want to repent. A huge part of that can be having somebody in your life who is safe, that you can be real, open, and honest with, that won't judge you or condemn you, but will be your advocate in restoring you and you receiving that new name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you walk among us. Just the same way, Jesus, that you walked among the seven churches in Revelation. You walk among us. So each might try to hide stuff, but there's nothing we can hide. In our personal lives and in the life of our church, you see the good and the bad, you see the beautiful and the ugly. And you're not afraid to call it out. So humbly, we just come before you. Holy Spirit, if there are some things in our lives where we've been compromising, where, where we've been lenient, bring them to the forefront of our mind and give us that integrity of spirit to repent, to be made right with you. Let's go much broader. 
for your church for crossroads. There's some areas where we're compromising, where we're being lenient, where we, where we should be calling it out, where we should be strong. Bring that to the forefront of our mind as well. Give us courage to take those appropriate steps. May we be a church that walks in truth, that walks in love, and walks in the light. And may we be a light in a dark world. We're in the world, but not of the world. We're living in the culture, but we're not of the culture. We are Jesus followers. May we be found faithful and true, bowing our knee before you and you alone, our Lord, our Savior, our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.